Well, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night, good grief. <laughs> How you doing, world? I am Reverend Agent L. Robinson II, a.k.a. Rev. Rob, and this is Deeper in the Word, the show where we give you the real about Scripture with people who actually know and understand it so that you can better understand what certain things in the Bible mean, how they relate to your life and experience, and how you can apply something that was written so, so long ago to what you're going through right now. How's everybody doing out there in deep in the world land? Listen, we want to thank you all for your continuous support of this podcast. Um, It has grown so exponentially according to God's grace and his plan that, you know, it's just unbelievable to me. But, you know, God can do anything. This is his plan. And that's something I always want to be remembered here. This is his plan. This is his platform. Okay, it has nothing to do with me. I was simply chosen to bring this forth, this idea of a Benevolent Faith Ministries, a uh, global church body, and a show called Deeper in the World, where Deeper in the Word, where we appreciate y'all being here and we thank y'all for joining us for another episode. This one, my friends, it's going to be interesting because we're going to be speaking from the subject and from the show entitled Haters Gonna Hate. Haters Gonna Hate. Haters Gonna Hate. Love is gonna love. <laughs> Shout out to Chappelle's show. If you know, you know. But seriously, listen. What does this phrase mean exactly? Haters gonna hate. What's that all about? What does that mean? Well, haters gonna hate. It's like a ghetto colloquialism. That is, because y'all like, huh? That means it's a catchphrase that's used to indicate a disregard or a dislike for hostile or threatening remarks that are made toward the speaker, normally yourself. It means that people who don't like you will always find a reason to dislike you, no matter how irrational or downright stupid that reason might be. They don't care. They just want to hate you. Haters grow hate. And the world is filled with haters, y'all. And haters are basically people who, you know, they can't be happy for another person's success. They can't stand to see somebody else happy. So instead of being considerate and acknowledging the successes of other people, instead, a hater tries to point out anything negative about those people. Because again, we're examining the core, the crux of what hating is. Okay? And that's really what it is. Hating on somebody else or, or, or looking negatively upon somebody else and trying to find anything negative, even when there may be positive qualities about somebody else or something else. You just have an innate ability to want to go against the grain. And really, hating on people doesn't have to be the insult or be the result, I should say. It shouldn't have to be the result of jealousy all the time. It ain't just about people being jealous. Because you know what it is? It's not so much that the hater wants what the next person has or wants to be in that person's position, although that can be a motivator too. But it's more so that the hater basically wants to knock 
other people down a notch. Bring them down a notch. They want to bring them down a notch usually just to make themselves feel better. That's that classic hater mentality. If I can't have it, nobody can. So I'm going to hate on everybody that got it. (laughs) You know? And oftentimes, haters just hate because they're miserable. And they have no joy in their own lives. So they talk bad or talk down on the people who do have joy. Well, friends, nobody had haters quite like Jesus did. And because he had haters, guess what? His followers also had haters. And that leads us to our scripture passage. It's going to guide our discussion during this episode, my friends, called Haters Gonna Hate. And it's based on the text of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 22, and the text of the Gospel of, or that was the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 22, and the text of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 13. So this scripture is based on Matthew 10, 22, and Mark 13, 13, because it's within these two passages of scripture that Jesus himself articulated just how the haters would feel about the people that loved him and followed him. Look at Matthew 10, 22. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. Look at the English Standard Version of that. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the other half of that, of that verse. Look at Mark 13, 13. That was Matthew 10, 22. Look at Mark 13, 13. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So as Jesus himself referenced in those two passages, haters are going to hate. They're going to hate his followers because they hated him first. So, of course, by extension, if you love him and follow him, they're going to hate you too because they hated him first. But why do people hate Jesus? Why do people hate on Jesus? From all accounts that you read in the Bible, everything you read about him in the Bible, Jesus was chilling. He was a calm person. He was a peacemaking person. He was an easygoing brother. He wasn't trying to trip on people. He showed love to everybody. And he healed people. And he delivered people from demons. And he brought the dead back to life. And generally just did many, many, many good things in the name of the Lord. So why would you hate on somebody like that? You know, that's what's so crazy to me about our faith. Even if you don't believe that Jesus was who he said he was, which was the son of God, which was God incarnate, God in the flesh, God walking among men on earth. If you don't believe that, at the very least, why would you have a problem with all the other stuff that he did that was nothing but good? Jesus didn't hate on people. Jesus didn't cast people out or... He never said a negative word to anybody except the Pharisees because they deserved it because he came to tell them. So they don't count. So why do people hate on him? Why did they hate him back then? And why do they hate him now in this present day and age? You know why they hate on Jesus, y'all? 
because Jesus represents everything that people are not supposed to be. He represents everything that's good and pure and perfect and true in the world. And those are all qualities, goodness, perfectness, uh, pureness, truth. Those are all qualities that the world misrepresents. So that's why people don't follow Jesus because they don't want to become his followers due to the fact that he represents living the right way. The way God intended for his creation to live. And people don't want to live that way. Worldly people don't want to stop what they like, what they enjoy, because all those things go against everything that Jesus represented. Think about it. People who want to do their own thing, who want to run the streets all the time, like to party, booze it up, get faded. That means stay inebriated. Who like to have multiple sex partners. Who like to engage in criminal activity. People that's banging. People that's selling drugs. People that's hustling, like scamming. You know, scamming is the new, the new drugs now. To steal somebody's identity and go for what you know. You know, speaking from experience with that. But the point is, people do all that stuff because they like to do it. And all of that stuff I just named completely goes against everything that Jesus stands for. You know what else? Another reason why people don't like to follow Jesus. You ever heard the idea that people don't like to be told about themselves? You know what that means? That means that people don't like it when you point out all their flaws and shortcomings to them. When you highlight all the things that they shouldn't do from an either moral or ethical standpoint, but you do it out of love. You do it because you care about them. So you don't come at them pointing your finger at them like, you shouldn't do this, blah, blah, blah. Instead, you're like, look, dog, I care about you, so I want you to know the truth about this situation. And at that point, it's not really up to you how they perceive it and how they accept it. You've given them truth, and you've given it in love. That's what God wants us to do. Okay, so the idea that people like to be told about themselves, it ain't like you try to wag your finger on them like you're better than them. It's that you're pointing out all the stuff that's wrong with them that they're clearly not seeing. And some people look at that and be like, you're a good friend, you're a good family member to tell me that. And other people will be like, who are you to say anything to me about who I am? And you fall out with them. People don't like to be told about themselves. Even when you tell them and they react well, it's still hard for them to hear it. But you know what, friends? That's exactly what Jesus did. He told people how to live morally and ethically in a way that pleases God. And when he did it, it convicted people. And it was the power of God. And that's why it still convicts people today through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus told us the Holy Spirit will be coming as the gift, as the helper. So when he was here, all of his teachings were about telling people how they should live, how the right way to live is. But him doing that highlights to those people he's talking to just exactly how they are living by contrast. And it makes them realize how far removed from the right way of living they truly are. When people tell you about yourself, if you're truthful with yourself and introspective, 
what it'll do is it'll make you reflect on how you are living and be like, dang, I really do do that. Wow, do I do that a lot? Wow, that's terrible. I got to stop doing that. You've been convicted at that point. And that's what his word does. Convicts people who hear it with respect to how they are living. Because they hear the truth of the word of God, how you're supposed to live. That's how God wants it. And they go, dang, I'm not doing that. And it convicts them and they change. That's the power of Christ. And they change through application of the Holy Spirit. So again, people don't like to be told about themselves. And it makes them so much so it makes them defensive. Sometimes even hostile when you try to point out the wrong way of living to them, like we mentioned. But that's been going on for thousands of years, y'all. And it's scriptural. Look at how Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7 to 8 states this. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. People who do wrong, y'all, they don't want to be corrected. They don't care that you have a logical response to their hating. They don't care. So instead, they hate on those who do want to be corrected. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, who you think you are? You think you're better than us because you try to be in the Lord and you try to stop doing this, that, and the third? Not better than you. I'm just trying to change. Because make no mistake, y'all. That's what living for Christ is. It's recognizing yourself to be a wretched sinner before God such that you're compelled to want to change that and start living the right way, the way God wants you to live. You know, followers of Jesus also get hated on by people who are trying to control them whether that's by religious or political or any other means. Because again, when you follow Christ, you only submit to the Lord and his will. You don't submit to the will of men or the will of doctrines or the will of politics or the will of public policy in certain respects. Okay, you don't submit to that. You submit only to the will of God. And when you do that, you make powerful enemies oftentimes, especially in other countries. This is why we see so many believers being persecuted around the world for following Christ. I want y'all to consider and listen to a few facts that should cause every last one of us listening right now to stop and think. This is information that you're going to really be appalled and shocked by. So, I've got a couple of instances of the type of persecution that happens around the world. A pastor in Sri Lanka was beaten by villagers for playing Christian hymns during a wedding ceremony. They heard him playing the music, told him to turn it off because they didn't want to hear Christian music. He wouldn't do it because it was a wedding ceremony. They came over and beat him up. A young woman in the Philippines was locked up in prison just because she wanted to be baptized. She made that known in the area where she's from. And as a result, she got locked up by the police, by the government for it. Tragically, on Pentecost Sunday, two months ago in southwestern Nigeria, and you may have heard about this, a terrorist group 
bust into St. Francis Catholic Church during services and killed over 50 people, including many children. In Southwest Bangladesh, a man was brutally attacked by a mob of 50 people, including his own family members, simply because he had renounced his old religion and become a Christian. Meanwhile, in Myanmar, in South Asia, Myanmar, or Myanmar, soldiers set fire to a Baptist church. In fact, it was the biggest Jap- Baptist church in the country that had a membership of over 600 people. Soldiers set fire to it. Why? We don't know. Fortunately, no one was injured in that incident, praise God. But in northern Nigeria, gunmen attacked a Baptist church and a Catholic church and killed at least three worshipers and kidnapped more than 30 worshipers. And in Mexico, there's parts of that country that are controlled by uh, drug gangs and traffickers. And so as believers, you're shot and killed simply for serving other people. Specifically, two elderly Jesuit priests were fatally shot while trying to defend a man who was trying to seek refuge. He was trying to escape from some enemies or from a war situation. And these two Jesuit priests helped him out. And as a result, they got killed for it. And friends, as crazy and as heartbreaking as all those stories sound, as if they come from like some draconian society in the distant past, the reality is all of those events I just listed occurred in just the last 45 days. Every last one of them. Every last one of them happened in the last 45 days as reported by our giving partner, Open Doors USA, through their prayer app. And again, we encourage y'all to please go download that app from your Apple and Android stores today so that you can pray for your fellow saints around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. But these numbers come straight from Open Doors USA who monitors this type of stuff around the world. Even though you don't hear much about these type of incidents in the media, they're happening with alarming and heartbreaking frequency every day all around the world. In fact, according to Open Doors annual report that's called the World Watch List, where they watch what's going on in the world and report it to us in terms of the persecution where people are suffering from in different countries, over 360 million Christians in over 60 countries are suffering intense persecution for their faith. They have a what's called the World Watch List Top 50 that lists the top 50 countries where persecutors, uh, where, where, where believers are being persecuted for their faith. And it has a, a brief bio of each country and the type of opposition they're facing. And it has a testimony from, you know, someone that's living there that can, you know, talk about how it is. I encourage y'all to go look that up. Why is that important? Because we're all one global church body. So if they suffer elsewhere, we need to suffer with them. At least pray for them. Because those folks are literally being hated for the sake of the gospel. You know, when Jesus was teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives, we see that in Matthews chapter 24 and 25, and you see that in Mark 13, and you see that in Luke 5. But when he was teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives, he warned them about the persecution that lied ahead for them. And he wanted them to know that following him carried a high cost. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be 
my follower. You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus wanted his followers to know that they were going to have to face persecution for their faith. And saying to God, all those things are still applicable to his followers today. I mean, you can see that from every last example I just listed from that open door prayer app situation. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, this episode, my friends. We're going to be talking about the matter of persecution as it relates to our faith in Jesus and how haters go hate. They're going to hate you for what you believe. And we're going to specifically use the text of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 9 to 13, as the background backdrop for this discussion. See, here in America, we don't know what real persecution is. We don't know what that's like. When we talk about persecution, it only extends to the level of people hating on us for being believers. That's our most intense form of persecution. Somebody might slander you, lie about you, talk bad about you because you're a believer. So whether that's through talking bad about us, mocking us, rejecting us, slandering us, or any other non-physical type of assaults on our character or on any other aspect of us as a people. But like I said before, people in other countries are suffering persecution on an entirely different level, y'all. We have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are literally paying for their faith with their lives. And we as a global church body need to know what Jesus says about persecution. We need to know what to expect and we need to know how he would have us respond to any persecution that we might come up against. And so there's three main principles that we're going to find in the Gospel of Mark chapter 13, verses 9 to 13, that are going to help us become more aware of what Jesus wants us to know about persecution in his global church body. What are those three principles exactly? Well, come back for our next segment. We'll tell you exactly what they are and why we need to be fully aware of them, all of which we'll get into after we come back from the break, y'all. I am Dr. Maria Manjapane, licensed Christian counselor, and I would like to invite you to visit my YouTube channel where I publish videos on how to use the Bible to guide us in every situation in life. You can find me in Google or the YouTube app. Type D-R-A-M-A-R-I-A-M-A-N-G-I-A-P-A-N-E. Thank you and have a blessed day. What's up, friends? It's your man's Rev Rob, and I am excited to cordially invite you to catch all new episodes of our television show, Walk in the Word with Benevolent Faith Ministries, which airs on the Daily Gospel Network every Wednesday afternoon at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 p.m. Central, 11.30 a.m. Pacific Time. That's also prime time for our friends in Africa and Europe. And y'all should know by now how we do this is not your typical ministry show. You can watch the show on Apple TV, Roku TV, and Amazon Fire TV, or you can just go to www.thedailygospelnetwork.tv and watch us there. Come on out and walk in the Word with us and learn the truth about God's Word, but in a fun and exciting new way. Amen? And we can't wait for you to join us.
Are you looking for a different kind of podcast? Then tune in to The One Life Show with C.C. Eccles. We are a Christ-centered podcast that believes in challenging you to be the best version of you possible. Yeah, we're more than just a podcast. We are a total experience. So tune in to The One Life Podcast on your favorite platform, including Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Breaker, iHeartRadio, BMC Radio Canada, and BMC UK. You'll be so happy you did. Hey, welcome back to Deeper in the Word. Deeper, deeper. Look, as a reminder, you can subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcast, on Apple Podcasts, the iTunes Store, on iHeartRadio, and on Amazon Music. Shout out to every digital podcast and digital streaming platform that plays this little old show we call Deeper in the Word. We appreciate and love all of our digital platforms. Also, don't forget to email us at info at benevolentfaithministries.org. Send us your questions and comments for the show. How are we going to know what y'all want to talk about if y'all don't email us and say, hey, talk about this. So we need y'all to kick in. Let us know what you'd like to hear, talk about, discuss related to the Word of God, uh, portions of the Bible you don't understand, certain principles you want clarity on. That's what we're here for, my friends. And remember, we want you to join us every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific time for our online church services. That's our Tuesday night online services, y'all. We be having church. Just go to benevolentfaithministries.online.church and create a screen nickname so you can chat along with us during the service. And we're going to start making all of our links available in our uh, podcast profile. So you ain't got to write it down when I say it on the station. Instead, you can just click, click, click on the link. Amen. Case in point, don't forget to check out our TV show, The Daily Gospel Network. It's called Walking the Word with Benevolent Faith Ministries. It comes on every Wednesday afternoon at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 p.m. Central, 11.30 a.m. Pacific Time on The Daily Gospel Network, like I said. But you can watch it by going to www.dailygospelnetwork.tv or you can catch it streaming on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, or you can always watch it on our YouTube page, which I don't know the address to, but again, check the profile because it's in there. Also, make sure you go check us out on BMC Radio. In fact, you need to be listening to BMC Radio anyway right now. Shout out to BMC Radio, Evangelist Nick Brown, Pastor Brownwell, our partner in ministry and part of the Global Church Body Alliance. You know, they're based out of the Wales in the United Kingdom. And their station plays a wide variety of programming related to gospel and dance mix and old school music and also faith-based messages and talk shows that have hosts who are introspectively intelligent about the topics upon which they're expounding. How you like that? (laughs) And they always speak on messages geared towards strengthening your daily walk with Christ. So check out BMC Radio. And if you missed the live episodes, because BMC Radio's address is bmcradio.org.uk. Guess where that's going to be? That's right, in the chat or in the profile. 
So look for that as well. But go check them out. If you can't catch them live, they have an on-demand channel that plays all of their biggest shows anytime you want to listen to them. And that includes our two shows on there. Actually, we have three, but two, The Inner Circle and also For Better or For Worse, which is the marriage show that I have with my wife, Marquita. Those are both on BMC Radio, as well as our friend Cece Echoes and her show, One Life. Catch that on BMC Radio, as well as uh, DJ Clayton Bigsby and his show that airs uh, on BMC Radio as well. So please go check those out and um, check out the link in our profile. Amen. But today, today's show is entitled Haters Gonna Hate. And we've been talking about how followers of Christ should not only expect for people to hate on them because of what they believe, but more specifically, how being persecuted for following Christ should also be something that each one of the Lord's followers expects to happen. Expect it. And we're using the text of the Gospel of Mark chapter 13, verses 9 to 13 as the backdrop for this discussion. In our last segment, we outlined what hating is exactly and how it's applicable to Christ. We looked at it from the biblical standpoint and we also looked at it from you know, the secular standpoint. But with respect to the biblical standpoint, how it's applicable to Christ. We also highlighted how people around the world are being persecuted right now in the name of Jesus, which is how it's applicable to Christ in another way. And we hinted at how our scripture passage, Mark 13, 9 to 13, points out three principles which Jesus wants us to be aware of when it comes to thinking about being, quote, hated on for his namesake. So, the first principle that we want to look at, based on the text of Mark 13, 9, 13, relates to how Jesus makes promises of hardship. He makes promises of hardship in this text. You can see this in verses 9 and 10. Look at verse 9 and 10. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. See, in these verses, the disciples are being warned by Jesus that they're going to be delivered up to these councils. Okay, and that's a reference to the Jewish Sanhedrin. Okay, and that was the Jewish version of the religious Supreme Court, if you will. So the disciples are told this, and they're also told that they would stand before governors and kings who would interrogate them related to their preaching and teaching and their doctrine. And they're told that they're going to be hunted down and hounded and beaten, and some would even die for the faith that they were prepared to preach about. And all of those things ended up happening going before councils, being delivered up to councils, standing before governors and kings, being hunted, hounded, beaten, dying for what they believed in. All that stuff ended up happening. These were all prophecies that Jesus gave that were fulfilled in the book of Acts. What he just said is fulfilled in the book of Acts in its entirety. And we're going to go to the text because, again, don't take Rev. Rob's word for it. Look at Acts chapter 4. Peter and John face the Sanhedrin. And they have to give an account of the healing that they did of the lame man at the temple. Because remember, when they healed the man, they got hauled in before the Sanhedrin. 
Acts chapter 7, Stephen is tried by the Sanhedrin and he's condemned to die. Acts chapter 9, verses 22 to 25, the Jews want to kill Paul for his preaching. Acts 12, James and Peter get arrested by King Herod. They're put in prison and they're scheduled to be executed. James is beheaded, but Peter gets out by the divine miracle. We'll read about that in Acts 12. Acts 14, 19. Paul is stoned, hit with stone, and left for dead in Lystra. Lystra. Acts 18, 19 to 24. Paul and Silas thrown in prison in Philippi. 18, uh, Acts, Acts chapter 18, verses 12 to 17. Paul's persecuted in Macedonia. Acts 19, Paul's arrested and tried in Ephesus. Acts 21, Paul's arrested and held for trial in Jerusalem. Acts 24, Paul's tried before Felix, the governor, remember governors and kings, tried before Felix, the governor of Judea and Samaria. And what I said before, with James and Peter arrested by King Herod. This is all prophecy that Jesus gave. So that was Acts 24. Acts 26, Paul's tried before governor Festus and King Agrippa. There's both of them at the same time. Acts 27 and 28. Paul's kept under house arrest and sent by ship to stand trial before Caesar. And he stays a prisoner in Rome until he's executed ultimately by the Romans. All of that stuff happened, y'all. And that's just a brief sampling of the kind of persecution that rocked the early church. So why did the disciples receive that treatment from the religious Jews and from the secular government? Why did they treat them like that? Why did they do them like that? Oh, again, we said that in the first segment. All those dudes did was good stuff and try to be good people and heal people. Especially after Jesus left, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them, they start healing. Peter and Paul start healing. That's all they did was good things, man. What about uh, Thomas preaching the gospel? I mean, Philip preaching the gospel to uh, the Ethiopian. For all we know, that had a hand in the continued spread of Christianity to Ethiopia, because make no mistake, Christianity was very big in Northern and Central Africa for a long time before Islam. And that's a show that we're working on soon. You'll hear that soon about Africa and Christianity and history, but that's for another day. The whole point is, why they get this treatment? They received this treatment because the gospel of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a direct threat to organized religion and to corrupt human governments. That's why they treated them like this. Remember what we said earlier, worldly people don't like to be told how immoral and unethical they are, especially people in charge who think they know better than you because they make decisions that affect you. So the gospel with its twofold requirements, two parts, meaning you got to repent, two, you got to have exclusive faith in Jesus. You got to do both those things. That's what the gospel is comprised of. That challenges everybody that hears it, that hears it. And it exposes the sin and the ungodliness of what we see today in this corrupt world system. It confronts it. Remember, again, people don't like to be told about themselves. The gospel tells the world about itself. So the world hates it. The gospel tells leaders how they act and how their actions are wrong 
and it makes them think about themselves, but either they don't care and they have calloused hearts and they ignore it or it convicts them and they do it anyway. But that's what the gospel does. So whenever the system is confronted by the gospel, the system reacts by trying to silence the gospel. You can't beat them, shut them up. And friends, it's been that way since the beginning of the church. And it'll continue to be this way until Jesus comes back to get his church. And we're truly drawing to the end of the church age. I actually believe it. With the number of, with the statistics and with the way the world is and with the apostasy, which means people uh, worshiping hybrid things and worshiping the wrong things and renouncing the faith and talking about the faith after they've left it, all type of things. With all of that going on, I believe this is the end of the church age. And as the end draws nearer, and draws closer, there's going to be an intensification in persecution of the gospel because that system hates to hear the gospel when it talks about holiness and repentance and faith in Christ exclusively. That means if you got to believe in Christ and follow his precepts, y'all not going to listen to what we tell you. We're the government. We, spoke, we know better than y'all. And then we believe, no, Christ knows better than all. They're not having that. So they're going to try to silence that. And as we reach the end of the church age, that's going to get worse. And Jesus told us that because he also highlighted how the disciples would face persecution in religious institutions and from governmental agencies and officials. He told them that. And it's funny because typically those are both places where people should expect fair treatment and justice, right? But when you preach the gospel, you shouldn't expect neither from either, <laughs> okay? From either religious, high-level high, uh, religious institutions nor from governmental agencies or officials. You're not going to get justice and fair treatment from either when you're preaching the truth of the gospel and you stand on it. And you don't allow them to use you as a puppet, as some pastors do. And they basically become mouthpieces for their party affiliation. And they try to mask it, but you can see it in the influence in their writings and their shows and the events they go to and promote. They have leadings and you're not supposed to do that. So there's no justice or fair treatment in either if you do it the right way. People like that play pawns. If you don't play a pawn and you follow the word of God and you follow what he wants you to do, you have problems. Because the very places that should have provided refuge and safety, those places instead become judgment halls. That's the gavel. <laughs> judgment halls where evil will condemn righteousness to its last dying breath. So the question becomes, my friends, why? The question is why? Why all the suffering and the unfair treatment? What's the purpose of all this hardship directed against God's people? Well, the purpose for this persecution is twofold, okay? It's two sides to it. First, the persecution that believers go through basically seals the destiny of everybody who rejects the gospel and its message. In other words, when people reject the message of God, when they reject the truth of what the word says, 
They're basically signing their own death warrants and setting themselves up for harsh judgment. Does that make sense? When you reject God to the point where you start harassing and even killing other people who do, you're signing your own death warrant and you're setting yourself up for a horrendous judgment by the Lord. And people like that, they prove their sinfulness because they reject the word of God and the way to salvation, which is Christ Jesus and the message that he comes to bring. See, it might be hard for us to understand, but God gets as much glory from the damnation of sinners that he does from the salvation of his saints. Y'all like, how's that possible? Because whenever God saves somebody, he's showing his grace and his love and his mercy. And conversely, when he condemns somebody's soul to go to hell, he's demonstrating his righteousness and his holiness. And none of those things that I just named, those five things, none of those are bad. And he is all of those things because he is perfect. So clearly the issue's with us, right? And so when he saves somebody, he's showing how good he is. And when he sends somebody to hell, he's also showing how good he is because he is righteousness and holiness. And those were the judgments that he felt people deserved. You know what else is possible? For God to get glory from the damnation of sinners the same way he does from the salvation of saints. Because when a soul is saved, God proves that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. Because that's the only way to be saved. To believe in Jesus, accept him as your Lord and Savior, and walk by faith with him and in him for the rest of your life after that words, after that point. That's what being saved is. So when you do that and you change, and everybody sees the miraculous change in you, that proves why salvation and damnation are just as important to God. Because you used to be trifling until you accepted Christ and then he accepted you. So he loves people enough to say, all right, I'm gonna keep giving you a shot. Keep giving you a chance to get it right. Now, ultimately, if you don't, then that judgment comes. But that's how loving and good God is. And conversely, when he condemns somebody, he proves still that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Because if you didn't do that and you didn't believe that, you ended up in a place where you didn't want to be. Both ways prove God's goodness, whether it's the damnation or the salvation. So that's the first part. And for the second part, we're talking about what's the purpose of all the persecution and it's twofold. Second part of that, persecution causes the gospel to spread. Because when persecution comes to the church, the faith and the message of the church are validated. We see that in the book of Acts. When they persecuted the Jewish, when they persecuted all the believers, and made them scatter. The text said that they scattered all back to their own hometowns, their own home countries, and in the process, helped spread the gospel throughout the region. Persecution drove to the spread of the gospel in that situation. I'm, I'm saying it off the top of my head, so forgive me, but that is definitely in the book of Acts. So I want you to consider this. When believers seal their testimony with their blood, 
oh yeah, the world takes notice. Because people always notice death. So when people give their lives for what they believe, yeah, the world takes notice of that. When people outwardly suffer for their faith, others notice it. Think about this. Approximately 60% of the followers of Christ in the world today live in relative peace and prosperity. We got the most money. We got all the Bibles, which is an important thing, believe it or not. We're going to be talking about that on a future show as well, about the importance of Bibles to the rest of the world. So stay tuned for that. But we got the most money. We got the most Bibles. We have all the various outreach opportunities that are available to us. We got radio. We got TV. We got printed media. And we got the internet that brings you shows like Deeper in the Word. But 40% of the world's Christians, followers of Christ, live in poverty and persecution. And as we just outlined from the information that was given us by Open Doors USA, what we talked about earlier, a lot of these people suffer daily for their testimony. And many others are being tortured and killed simply for believing Christ. And that's just simple math. 60% of the world we got money to do ministry. And that includes big ministries. There are ministries in other countries that don't have money, but they're still doing the work. Like Life Ministries, our friends in India. They're doing phenomenal work in the remote areas of their country. Shout out to our pastor that does the work there. We don't want to put it out there for safety reasons, but... They're doing great work and they don't have the resources to do the type of stuff that like T.D. Jakes and his ministry does. 40% of the world is like that. They live in uh, poverty and persecution. And the greatest number of conversions, this is why I say that 60-40, the greatest number of conversions, all the biggest moves of God about evangelizing people and people turning to Christ, they're being reported around the world in the poverty-stricken persecuted areas by our persecuted brethren because these folks are suffering and dying for their faith and as a result millions of people are being influenced because again our whole point here was that when believers shed their blood the lost world takes notice you outwardly suffer for your faith and others notice it these people are dying y'all now i'm not trying to make us feel bad but we should feel a sense of responsibility because they're part of our church. Because us, on the other hand, enjoying our peace and prosperity, in the process of us doing that, we ain't influencing nobody. We're not influencing people for Jesus. We're doing flashy things to increase the numbers for our ministries. We're trying to grow our churches. We're trying to grow our number of followers. Instead of really preaching about the word and trying to help people become convicted and converted. We're not drawing men to Christ. We're not strengthening people in their unbelief. There are a lot of churches that are. There are a lot of ministries that are. There are a lot that are not. And that's not acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. But people that are being persecuted, they testify daily to how deep their faith and commitment to the gospel goes by how they're suffering. Y'all, the lesson is clear for the modern church, y'all. Again, as we draw nearer to the end of the church age, 
we can expect persecutions against believers to get more increasingly prevalent. Because the fact is, we're living in an environment that's growing increasingly hostile to the gospel that we love and proclaim. See, we tell the world that there's only one way to be saved. Y'all remember from The Wire when Marla was like, you want it to be one way, but it's the other way. (laughs) That's what it is, man. The world wants it to be one way. I can do whatever I want and party it up and, and get faded every day and have three, four girlfriends, three, four boyfriends, talk bad to people, do whatever, all of that stuff. I can do all that, but still go to church on Sunday and worship the Lord. They want it to be one way, but it's the other way. You can't do both of them things. You got to make a choice. And by you wanting to do that stuff and doing that stuff, you pretty much made your choice, my friend. Think about it. We tell the world that God demands righteousness and holiness, right? But the world wants to live life on their own terms and do as they please. We tell the world that heaven is a place they can get to only if they reach it through faith in the gospel. But they want to believe that everybody goes to heaven or that life ends in nothing more but a body in the grave. Think about all the people that did dirt and had a funeral and they loved ones like, oh, he with the Lord now. Maybe he's not. Pray for that man's soul. We tell the world, false religion and human government, that God's word is the final authority. We tell them, we submit to God's authority, not you. And that we're going to face him in judgment one day, so we don't care about your judgment. That's what we should be saying to our governments to hold them more accountable. Instead, people want to live as though God is dead and that they'll never give an account of their actions. So when the government tells them to do stuff, they go, oh, okay. Because they're not used to being accountable for themselves. They need an organization. They need a a structure to tell them how to think. Saints of God, it's clear that our message and the way of the world that we live in, they're diametrically opposed to the way of the world that they live in. Our message and the way the world encourages us to live our lives are two things that stand in stark contrast to each other. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done and make no mistake. There's definitely some hard times ahead for everybody that takes a stand for righteousness against the rottenness of the world, 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Please believe that we as a country, as a world population, we're moving into an era, y'all, where people in power, people in control in our society, they're starting to favor a lot of stuff that goes against the clear teaching of the word of God. They're supporting the very things that God said not to do. Isaiah 5.20 puts it this way. Remember, because he warned in Isaiah 5.20, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That is exactly what we're going through in society right now. That means we're expected to tolerate sin and people's vices of every kind, all in the name of tolerance. We're supposed to tone down our message of repentance and seeking righteousness. We're supposed to soften our speech about stuff like that so that we don't offend people who practice that stuff, who engage in all these sinful activities and who relish it. We're supposed to tone down the way we believe what the word of God says and let them do their thing instead because they stare right to do their thing. 
But that's one of the main reasons why we're persecuted against as believers. Because we ain't doing nothing trying to help people seek salvation based on what God has said. And instead, they're blaming believers for being judgmental like we said it. We didn't say it. God said it. Now, here's the thing, though. If you're a believer, don't go wagging your finger in people's face. You shouldn't do this based on it. No. You don't convict people. God convicts people. Your job is to give them the truth in, without judgment and in love. So when we fail to go along with the demands of an increasingly materialistic and worldly society, we should expect to be persecuted for our stand, my friends. Now, coming up in our last segment, y'all, we're going to talk about these last two elements of what it means to get hated on based on the text of Matthew 9, verse 9 and 13. Being hated on for Jesus' name's sake. And these last two principles are not only going to tell us about some of what the help, some of the type of help that Jesus is going to give us, they also tell us what happened to each of the Jesus' disciples after they sold out their lives for him. So come back and find out what those are all about after we come back from the break, y'all. What's up, y'all? It's your man's Rev Rob, and I'm asking you to please go download that Benevolent Faith Ministries mobile app that is available in Apple and Android stores everywhere. Yes, you can now take us with you wherever you go. You can download it right to your phone, tablet, laptop, or other mobile device. And the app features all of our ministries. You can watch our on our Tuesday night online services there. You can watch our TV show, Walk in the Word, that airs on the Daily Gospel Network every week. You can peruse our video library and watch all of our past videos, including prior online services and Bible studies, and a lot more. You can also request prayer through the app, access our social media pages, and you can give to our giving partnerships through the app. What's best is you can also access our television channel, Benevolent Faith Television or BFTV, which is available on Apple TV, Roku TV, and Amazon Fire TV. Or you can just watch it right through the app. And you can sign up for notifications from Benevolent Faith by going to the settings tab in the app and under notifications, sliding the button to the on mode so that you can get alerts from us, which will pop up on your phone anytime we have new developments. And trust me, we will not spam your phone with notifications. Oh, I can't stand when apps do that. Listen, this is a game changer for us as we seek to truly embody what it means to be a global virtual church. And we're thrilled to be able to share this with you. Download the Benevolent Faith Ministries app today. What's up, y'all? This is Rev Rob, and I'm inviting you to join us live for our weekly online services every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. All you have to do is log on at benevolentfaithministries.online.church, and it'll take you directly to the live worship session. Now, if you get there a bit early before service is started, stay and enjoy the fellowship with us and others through the chat system. You can even participate live and chat with our hosts during and throughout the service, as well as take notes and follow along in the Bible section we have available. And you can request prayer or even join Benevolent Faith Ministries itself. Remember, 
You can log on at benevolentfaithministries.online.church every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, and we can't wait for you to worship with us. Hey friends, Benevolent Faith Ministries is excited to have partnered with Open Doors USA to launch our Season of Prayer Campaign 2022, where we will be focusing all of our efforts on praying for persecuted Christians all around the world, including our fellow saints in our sister churches all over the globe. We originally planned to do this for a month, but the need is so great that we've decided to expand the campaign to run throughout the remainder of 2022. Open Open Doors recently released their 2022 World Watch List, which highlights the suffering of Christians in countries where persecution for your faith is still a sobering reality. One of our sister churches just so happens to be in a country that's on that list. Saints of God, it wasn't Jesus' intent for the body of Christ to be confined to just one building in one city. It's all of us all around the world united under one banner in Christ and praying with and for each other. Please go download the free Open Doors USA app from the Apple or Android store and pray along with us. You can download the free app by going to odusa.org backslash prayer app. That's odusa.org backslash prayer app. Listen, we're not asking you for money. We're asking you for prayer. We're asking you to care about your fellow saints around the world who share the same love for Christ as you do, but who don't share the freedoms to worship him like you do. Be a part of our year-long season of prayer campaign by simply downloading the app and then praying along with us each week. And for more information, go to benevolentfaithministries.org and click on the season of prayer menu option. God bless. Hey, my friends, welcome back to Deeper in the Word. Don't forget, please follow us on Facebook, all of our social media platforms. Now, admittedly, I'm not a Twitter guy, so we're not on Twitter. We are on Facebook and we are on Instagram. We are on LinkedIn. Check us out. Um, Go to those sites and put in Bedevil Faith Ministries and like our pages to support us. Also, please make sure y'all go download our mobile app that's available in the Apple and Android stores everywhere. Listen, everything is in our app, man. You can join our Tuesday night services. You can watch our TV show on Wednesday. You can listen to this very podcast. You can listen to our shows on BMC Radio. You can make prayer requests. You can give to our giving partners. All of that good stuff and more. You can watch our video library that shows every TV show and service we've ever done in our history. You can watch all of that good stuff. So please, go download the app today. And while you're at it, make sure you go download that Open Doors USA app today that you'll also find in Apple and Android stores. We've spent a majority of this show talking about them and their reports, the information that they're producing. And we're very grateful to them as we continue on with today's show, which has been entitled Haters Gonna Hate. 
haters gonna hate. And we've been discussing how followers of Christ often get hated on. Or in other words, how they face harsh, unjust judgment and persecution and treatment just because they've chosen to follow the Lord. And we're using the text of the Gospel of Mark chapter 13 verses 9 to 13 as a backdrop for this discussion. My apologies, I said Mark 9, 9 to 13 at the end of the last segment, so forgive me. It is indeed Mark 13, 9 to 13 as the backdrop for this discussion. And so far, this episode, we've talked about what hating is, how it's applicable to Christ. We also highlighted how people around the world being persecuted right now in the name of Jesus. And we've started to delve into these three principles related to the sense of awareness that Jesus requires us to have when it comes to being hated on for his namesake. And the first principle that we talked about involved a promise of hardship, meaning you're going to suffer. He told him that. He told him he's going to appear before councils and kings and governors and suffer by governmental hands and all of that stuff. And that happened. So that's the first principle, promise of hardship. This is all from the text of Mark 13, verses 9 to 13. And the next principle relates to how Jesus gives a promise of help. He gives a promise of help. Look at verse 11, Mark 13, verse 11. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. That's a promise of help, man. In other words, Jesus tells the disciples that when they find themselves under that type of persecution, they can expect help from God. He tells them the Lord's going to give them exactly what they need when they stand at the seat of power and give an account for what they're preaching and teaching is all about and why they believe it and why they're ready to die for it. It's God's very promises, y'all is that the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, would fill these disciples and give them the very words that they needed to say in order to defend their faith at the highest levels. He's essentially providing direct divine help to aid people being persecuted for their faith. And just like the previous prophecies that were given to the disciples that ended up coming true, these promises of help came true also. God is not a man that he should lie, and Jesus was God. God's not a man that he should lie. He ain't gonna tell no untruths. So all these prophecies that Jesus gave came true. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 6 to 22. That talks about what happened when Peter and John, uh, we talked about this before, when Peter and John appeared before the Sanhedrin, and how they were able to speak with boldness about the power of Jesus working through them to heal the lame man outside the temple. You know, there was an occasion where uh, the elders, people said, aren't these men fishermen? Why do they speak with such boldness and conviction and authority? So yeah, they stood with boldness before the Sanhedrin and were given the words to say by the Holy Spirit. Same thing happened when Paul stood before Felix in Acts 24, 10 to 21. And when Paul appeared before King Agrippa and Governor Festus in Acts 26, verse 1 to 29. So what's the significance of all of this for us? Why should we care? Basically, that we don't need to be afraid of the day coming when persecution comes to our doorstep. 
if you really believe in him and you're not just sometimey and you don't act like you believe in him when you're out in public because you don't want to give in to peer pressure, if you really stand by him at all times, persecution's coming to the doorstep and he's telling you, don't be afraid when that happens. Because if we're saved by God's grace and if we take our stand with him by faith, then we can be sure that he's going to help us in our time of need. Friends, the reality is that God is faithful to stand with his people. And we should be happy and safe and comfortable. Take solace in the fact that he's not going to desert you when you face persecution for his glory. Hebrews 13, 5, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And you know, I was thinking earlier, somebody's like, I just remember all those stories you read earlier from Open Doors USA. How could you say God didn't abandon them? How do you say God didn't fail them? Because we don't know how God works. Scripture says his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. And as tragic as it is, some of these stories that happen, he got glory out of it somehow. And some would say, well, that's a very uh, selfish thing for God. He's God. He created us. You don't have anything to bargain with in that argument. You understand what I'm saying? So when God says, I'll never fail you, I'll never abandon you, for all we know, he's saying that to the survivors of these people? I don't know. These are just things for you to think about. I'm not here to tell you what to think. Just consider these. Because remember, we said even in damnation, even in suffering, God is still good. Because he's righteous and holy and just. We don't know why he does things. We don't know why bad things happen to good people. But we're not going to stop loving him because they do. And that's what he's saying. I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. Ain't that what a parent that loves you say? I don't care what happens. Even if we go homeless, I'll never leave you. That's what God is saying to us. So we've seen Jesus give a promise of hardship and he gave a promise of help. Finally, and I'm done today, y'all. I'm going to get out y'all hair. Our passage, Mark 13, verses 12, 9 to 13. This passage of scripture shows Jesus also making a promise of hatred. He's making a promise of hatred. Look at verses 12 and 13. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Y'all see that? He's telling his followers that as the persecution continued, it was only going to intensify and get worse until even the supposed strong bonds that these guys held with their family members and every believer going forward, the bonds that they held with their family, even those would be eroded and give way to family members turning on each other. That's what he's saying. And the disciples experienced this kind of hatred and so will the church in this end of the church age. And not only will family hatred increase, but so will the world's hatred for the people of God. I mean, dang, if your only family hates you, then the rest of the world is definitely going to hate you. Don't expect love from the world. You can't get it from your family. Come on. We wonder why the world would hate people 
that are devoted to this dough. Why would you hate people devoted to godliness and peace? But remember what we said earlier. They hate believers, true believers, because true believers in Christ and Christ himself stand for everything that they are against and everything against what they stand for. You see that? We stand for everything that they're against. They're against everything. Well, we're against everything they stand for. They stand for the world and how the world wants to do things. We stand for the Lord and how the Lord wants to do things. So as the end approaches, more and more, we're going to see the persecution of the church, y'all. It's going to get stronger and get more public. Jesus said they will be hated for my name's sake. So the reason the world hates believers is because the world hates Jesus. Because you had to understand, why would the world hate Jesus so much? After all the good he did, we hinted at it earlier, but think about it. This world is energized and controlled by Satan. He runs this. Now, he only runs it with the degree of authority that God has given him. Yeah, he's the prince of the air. Think about, you know, my friend, my good friend, Greg Kirkman, shout out to Greg Kirkman. He always brought up this ideology about the devil being the prince of the air, as scripture tells us. Imagine what that is. You breathe in air. Air is everywhere. You're not going anywhere on this planet without air. Planet Earth has oxygen. Okay? So if he's the prince of the air, that means he's got a realm here. Now, as my friend Terrence Albritton says, yeah, the devil's not omnipotent. He's not like God and can be everywhere at once. But wherever he is, he's doing dirt. He's up in the air. Okay? This is his realm. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Y'all, the world is filled with stubborn people, hard-headed sinners, whose only existence is to fulfill the will of the devil. And a lot of them don't even know it because they're so busy doing it, they don't take the time to reflect on the truth of what God's word says that shows them you shouldn't be doing that. They're too busy. Look at how John 8, puts it. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Man, that's one family profile I'm really not trying to be down with. You just like your daddy. Uh-uh-uh. Since the devil hates Jesus, he causes everybody under Jesus' power, everybody under his power, to hate Jesus too. So anybody that succumbs to the world and makes the devil their master, yeah, they hate Jesus. Because again, he represents everything that they are not. And Jesus warned his men that just as the world hated him and killed him, they would hate everybody that followed him and possibly kill them too. And not only did that descend to the disciples, as we see, that extends today. And all of that proved to be true for the disciples. Each one of them met a terrible end. Again, this is prophecy from Jesus to them directly, telling them this is what's going to happen. And it happened. 
to every last one of the apostles. James was beheaded by King Herod. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew was crucified on the olive tree. Thomas was stabbed repeatedly through his body, all the way through, with spears made out of pine trees. And he was tortured with red hot plates and burned alive. Philip was tortured and crucified. Matthew had his head cut off. Nathaniel was skinned alive and then crucified. James was thrown down from the Temple Mount and then beaten to death with a club. They threw my man off a cliff and then finished the job. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks. Matthias was stoned while he was hanging on the cross. Dang, John was thrown in boiling oil, but John didn't die. So instead, he was ex exiled, exiled, excuse me, to prison on the island of Patmos to be by himself. That's where he wrote Revelation. Oh, and Paul, Paul was also beheaded in Rome. And those same things that happened to them have proved true for millions of Christians down throughout the centuries, y'all. Again, as we highlighted in our first segment and as Open Doors highlights every day in their prayer app that we encourage you to download, it's still proving true for millions of people. They're dying for their faith. Truly, the world hates our Savior and they're going to hate us until he delivers us from this world. So the lesson for us is simple, y'all. When persecution comes, people who know the Lord Jesus are going to be empowered to stand for him. Even if some of them are called on to go to their death for his glory. Some of them are called to die. Some people are going to be willing to die for that. But listen, I understand that a message like this about persecution don't exactly make people want to become believers. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you talk about how you might die to follow him righteously. But quite honestly, y'all, as harsh and as stinging as all this sounds, believing the gospel and even dying for Jesus is way better than not believing in it and dying without him. Because everybody that dies for him is going to a glorious eternity. Everybody dies without him is not. And that's scriptural. Either enter the narrow gate or the wide gate, brother. So examine your hearts, man. How committed is your faith? Are you committed to Jesus even to the point of death? Do you shy away from even a simple confrontation with somebody that questions your faith at school or at work? Are you willing to go to prison if you need to for your belief? Are you willing to suffer for the Lord's sake? Because there's a lot of y'all out right now out there listening that would immediately say, oh, I don't think so. I'm not going that far with it. I'm going to be a good person and try to live right and read my word, but I don't know about all that. But listen, as our friends at Open Door USA point out every day, there's people who are dying for Jesus, going to prison for following him being ostracized from their families for simply wanting to be baptized or wanting to believe in the Lord. They're suffering in his name's sake. They're being hated on for his name's sake. So while you examine your own heart, make sure you're praying fervently 
for everybody who's currently suffering in the Lord? Because you might not be going through that, but there's somebody going through it right now. That's their reality. As sure as your reality is, I'm going to wake up, go to the store, work from home, do a little this, that, and the third, go to the beach this weekend. As sure as that's your reality, their reality is, I'm going to run for my life today. But I love the Lord, so it's worth it. That's their reality. So while you examining your own heart and your own lives, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying, pray for them. They need your prayer badly. Like it is not a game. Pray for all the people who are paying for their faith with their shed blood. Pray for them and then pray for us that when the time comes, we'll have the same determination and conviction that they have if we're ever called on to walk in the path of persecution. Because after all, Jesus himself warned us, haters gonna hate. <laughs> haters gonna hate, man. Amen. Listen, thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget, you can subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker Radio, Public Pocket Cast, Overcast, on Apple Podcasts, in the iTunes Store, and on iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. And don't forget, you can find us on the web, benevolentfaithministries.org. Log on now and learn more about our giving partnerships and how you can be the church without the need for any building. And don't forget to log on this and every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern for our online church services. Go to benevolentfaithministries.online.church, log in, create a screen nickname, worship along with us, y'all. And we'll catch y'all here next time. Holla.